We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up. Sam and I are going to talk about how we feel after 11 games of these Suns teams, and we're going to have a great conversation with the Ringers' J. Kyle Mann. But first, I wanted to let you guys know about our brand new shirt slash hoodie, Rick and Monty. That's right, it's Ricky Rubio and Monty Williams drawn in the iconic style of the TV show Rick and Morty. You can get a t-shirt or a hoodie right now. Just go to designtree.com slash bluewiremedia. That's D-S-G-N tree.com slash bluewiremedia. And you'll see all the Blue Wire shirts, including the Rick and Monty shirt and our hashtag sh shirt with Kelly Oubre on it. Buy them now. And shout out again to J. Kyle Mann for joining us on this episode. Make sure to watch his video on the Ringer's YouTube channel. This week, this episode is brought to you by Untuck It, the only shirts that you should wear untucked. Let's go. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. First of all, Booker is a terrific offensive player. Going out getting Ricky Rubio, who's been fantastic. He's averaging like high teens and close to double doubles and assists and rebounds. Aaron Baines, who I told you was fantastic with the Celtics, just plays basketball. He is so unselfish. He's unbelievable. Dario Saric can score off the bench against anybody. He is not bad. He's going to get it up. Uh, Oubre has been fantastic. But let me just say this. Uh, Rubio and Baines are the two big differences. They've both been fantastic. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast, the number one most popular basketball podcast in all of India. My name is Mike. Sam's here with me. Sam, I looked it up. 
In India, field hockey, table tennis, badminton, and chess, and more, are more popular than basketball. That makes us the number one podcast for the 10th most popular sport in the second most populated country in the world. What do you think of that? (laughs) Well, second most populated country in the world is really important, Mike. 300 (laughs) million people in the U.S., roughly, versus Mm -hmm. 1.3 billion people in India. So, you know, if you take those 1.3 billion, safe to say uh, we have tens of millions of listeners in India uh, to this podcast. I I think that is a fair approximation as a stats guy myself. Yeah, it's a fact that more people that are basketball fans listen to our podcast than like the low post. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so can can we do, you you previewed uh, or you uh, sort of marketed the Rick and Monty shirt, right? Can we... Please, if you are an Indian listener of this podcast and interact with us on Twitter and prove that you live in India, I think the first person who does that gets a free Rick and Monty shirt. Yep. Or whatever shirt they want. No matter how much it costs to send it it there, we'll do it. We'll figure out a way to get it to you, uh, to anyone listening that lives in India. Prove it. (laughs) Legitimately legitimately prove it. Yeah, legitimately. No VPN fucking ryan who runs the sun's formerly the sun's reddit account now the sun's after dark count that doesn't fucking count no vpn legit we'll be able to see right through that um but yeah you get a prize if you do it you get a shirt you get a shirt and sam the suns are seven and four after 11 games seven and four can you believe that i cannot and i don't think uh few people would be able to believe it if you asked them this uh, a few weeks ago it's just it's still tough to wrap my mind around I considered myself one of the more optimistic people out there as far as how good the Suns were going to be this season, and they have far exceeded my expectations, especially if you were to say that one of the most important pieces of this team uh, is suspended for 25 games to start the season. Uh, What we decided to do is to go over some general thoughts. Now that we've crossed the 10 games mark, that's like a pretty good uh, sample size, whether or not it's going to be predictive of the rest of the season is a different conversation. But what have we noticed after these first 11 games? We have some thoughts that we wanted to talk about. Both Sam and I made some notes here. Let's start. I'm going to start with this one. This one's pretty obvious. Devin Booker is rising from a star to a superstar. I said that I thought that Devin Booker would be improved if he had better teammates. But what he has done is it's far exceeded what I've expected out of him so far. The combination of his effort on defense, I think that's the first thing that you have to say. There's no world where he's going to be like an all-world defender. Effort is all that matters. Focus is all that matters with him. And that's continued effort after plays break down. Uh, but that combined with his efficiency on offense, his the fact that he's not forcing anything, his patience on offense. But to me... One of the most impressive things that I wanted to talk about that we haven't really talked about yet is Devin Booker is now making advanced reads on offense with his playmaking. He's no no longer making just obvious passes, which he uh, has made in the past and got better at making some advanced reads last season. Now he's making point guard, like legitimate point guard type reads and passes uh, in a way that we haven't really seen before. He's still averaging a fair amount of turnovers. Like He hasn't really cut those turnovers down, but the types of reads that he's making have impressed me. And I think that is now proven. Yes, he can be the best player on a good team. To anyone who doubted that, we all know the famous people that have doubted that. 
But the other part, I think, is is he's proven that that superstar status, that like elite status of NBA players, he's going to reach it if he hasn't already. He's 23 years old. And I think this is the biggest lesson to me after 10 games, after 11 games now, uh, is that Devin Booker is now basically proven that he can and should be a superstar in the future. Yeah, no disagreement from me. Um, he's been amazing. We've talked about his uh, ability to score on ball, but also adding off ball stuff to his game. I think we're going to talk about that more with our guest later, probably. But um, he's he's just been amazing, and and there's no doubt to me now that he's probably an All NBA level player. If he can even be, like you said, average on defense uh, and make that contribution, which he has so far. So absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> what are you? What are your for, thoughts for after me, eleven games? Yeah. So I I didn't want to take the Booker angle as well. Um, so I think Monty Williams is the place to start. Like he's just been so uh, amazing with his coaching. And I think it's clear at this point, the Suns are now projected to win over 40 games. Going into the season, we were projecting you and I, Mike, around 35. We were going to be happy Mm -hmm. with that. But I think Mm -hmm. uh, Monty Williams gets a 20 win or more turnaround from this team, gets into the 40s. It's clear he's going to be in the coach of the year conversation. And if he can just pull a little bit more out of that uh, this roster than that, 45, 50 wins, uh, then he's got a very good shot to be coach of the year because people around the league now are taking notice. Um, everyone is talking about the .5 system. Everyone is talking about the Suns. Uh, I think, you know, to an extent, People looked at the Suns roster, uh, even some of the Suns optimists, and saw the offensive pieces here, but the defense has really impressed people too. And uh, we'll see if some of that is sustainable throughout the course of the season. We'll talk a little bit more about that in this episode as well. But uh, Monty has been very, very impressive. If you look at the Kings last season, Dave Yeager, um, who was fired after this season, but after the Kings got (laughs) roughly a 20-win turnaround, uh, he finished sixth in Coach of the Year voting, and that was sort of with them slumping. Uh, to a to a pretty rough record after the All Star break, I think they finished last season like nine and sixteen in their last twenty five games or something like that. So it's all about narrative. The narrative is built right now that the Suns improved yeah. just like it was with the Kings last year. Even with the Kings slumping after the All Star break, that narrative of this is one of the most improved teams in the NBA continued, and everyone continued to talk about them. If the Suns can somehow be even better and avoid that slump, which theoretically they should be able to do, given that they're not even playing at full strength with DeAndre mm-hmm. Ayton. Um, then yeah, Monty's on a fast track to being one of the most well-respected coaches in the NBA, seriously. And, yeah. and it's not just because of the success of this team, but it's because right. you and I had so many reservations about what Monty would look like given what his time in New Orleans looked like. And he has proved to be the best kind of coach, which is an adaptable coach who takes the personnel that he's given and molds a system to them. And uh, that's just something that's so very easy to respect. We talked a lot about players or or anyone around the Suns that could potentially win awards and we kind of didn't even talk about the coach of the year thing but the thing is about the coach of the year award is it doesn't have to go to like one of the top teams in the NBA necessarily like it doesn't need to go to a one or a two seed or a three seed like the way the MVP does a lot of times it can actually go it's like the Suns if the Suns make the five seed I think that he will definitely be the coach of the year at least in contention for the coach of the year. And, and you talk about the potential guys so far. And obviously, there's a lot of games left. There's, we've played just over an eighth of the season, basically. Uh, so there's a lot of games left. But if you're talking about who's in, who's done the best job with what they've been given so far, you're talking about uh, Monty Williams, narrative-wise, is at the top of that list because of the expectations for the Suns going into the year. And those narratives will fade as the season goes along because if they win in more games... 
uh, win and win and win, right? That's going to change a little. Ex- expectations will change for the Suns as the season progresses. Uh, but then you have Vogel probably for the Lakers and Brad Stevens probably for the Celtics. Those yep. are probably the only guys that you're going to talk about. Maybe Ryan Saunders for for the Timberwolves because of uh, the changes that they've made and how you know Wiggins is a big narrative guy there too. He's played really well. And I think the Timberwolves are a little better than a lot of people have expected, but they still haven't played as well as the Suns. And you can, there's like a case to be made that nobody expected that really going into the season. So arguably, arguably he's been the best coach in the NBA so far with the personnel he's had. And I think it's fair to say that looking forward, if he can continue to get the most out of guys, that he'd be one of the best coaches uh, in the NBA. And that's what you hope out of that. And that's not something... Well, that's not something that anyone could have predicted because it was impossible to know what Monty was going to look like right. uh, after years and years and years of not being a head coach. And I think those changes um, have been massive. I, I agree with you on that one. Another point I wanted to talk about uh, is this 7-4 and four record. If you told me that the Suns were going to be 7-4 and four after 11 games... I would have assumed that Mikhail Bridges <laughs> took a massive leap and is now one of the better players on the team. And I think that's what's been especially impressive about this team so far. We talked so much about Mikhail Bridges. We talked about how he could potentially be a starter. I think that conversation is now gone uh, as far as whether or not he should be starting for this team uh, because his yeah. offense is not <clears throat> quite clicked yet. But the Suns are 7-4 and four without him being what we hoped he would be. And I still think he can get there. I find it weird that people are are putting his name in in, in trades (laughs) early this season. He's been insanely impressive. If you look at a lot of the lineup stats for the Suns so far, Mikhail Bridges is still, he's still up there. He's still one of the guys that just makes people better on the floor. But he's not been one of the best players on the Suns so far this year. So the fact that the Suns are 7-4 and without Mikhail Bridges really breaking through and breaking out and becoming... Uh, like a star, like a mini star, if you will, in his role, like a role player, star player. Uh, that's kind of a surprise to me. So I think that's been really impressive so far uh, for me. What have you th- thought about Mikhail Bridges so far? It's funny because I'm actually in the middle of writing a piece about Mikhail for for Brightside um, that I stopped so that we could record this. But I think he's <laughs> um, being thrown under the bus a little bit too much. Not by most Suns fans, just by a kind of vocal minority. He is, uh, by every advanced metric, still a positive contributor uh, to this team. And his defense is just enormous. The the defensive impact that he has on this team, just watching. And I'm not even just talking about steals. um, But if you just watch possession by possession, Mikhail's ability to be disruptive on the perimeter um, and his ability to you know, focus in and isolate sort of his man if he has to, but also do things like trap. Like the other night was the first time that we saw the Suns defensively really try to trap a player when they played the Atlanta Hawks and they consistently trapped Trey Young throughout the game. They struggled, uh, or at least a lot of the players on the team struggled. It worked to the Suns' advantage because they were able to take Trey out of the game for the most part. Um, But especially in the first half, Trey was able to make a lot of easy reads. He racked up assists. He was still scoring points. It's not like it came easy for the Suns to get that win. One of the few players who I thought navigated the trap especially well was Mikhail Bridges with his wingspan, and I thought he played some really valuable minutes. And if you go back and watch the Mm -hmm. possessions where it was Mikhail coming off that screen and and helping to trap Trey uh, sort of on the sideline, 
he did he did a phenomenal job doing that and not everyone on the team did so just little things like that that don't show up in the box score he's going to continue to be the master of that um and i think he deserves some credit now we Mm -hmm. can do a conversation about you know if his offense doesn't really come to fruition like we expected it to what is his ceiling maybe his ceiling isn't what we were hoping it was right um that's fair Uh, you you can talk about that but there's no question that mikhail bridges is a valuable role player uh, on the suns and and will be for years to come if they keep him i'm just so Mm -hmm. confident in that yeah i definitely (laughs) agree and I, i i just think uh it's it's a little disappoint. I think if you're talking about disappointments so far this season, I think it's fair to say that Mikhail Bridges has been a bit of a disappointment uh, because of the expectations for him going into the season. Uh, but to say he's been bad or or to 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 pretend like he's been a negative on the court, I think that's not really the case so far, especially in the role that he's been given, which is less than last season, uh, rightfully so, because there's just more good players on this team so far and he's just a player i think that suns fans feel attached to because last season was such uh, it was hard to watch <laughs> let's just say that it was hard to watch and throughout that season mikhail bridges whenever he was on the floor he made it more watchable he made it more fun and maybe not in a way that normally players do but you know effort defensively playmaking shot creation as far as being able to catch and shoot on the, on, on the uh, edges but you know, we expected him to kind of break out a little this season, and so far, no. Well, uh, but there's yeah. been there's a lot of time for him to still do that. And look, last year was still filled with uh, so much dysfunction on the roster. You had guys with, like Josh Jackson kind of running amok. And so I think part of the appeal of McHale wasn't only that he was tangibly a good basketball player, but that he was also a consummate pro. And that counted for something last year in a way that it doesn't count this year, because everyone is a consummate pro. Cam Johnson yeah. has come in, and he has looked uh, incredibly mature. For a rookie, and I want to throw a shout out to him because his surge has been ridiculous over the past four games. You know, if you had told me that 10 games or 11 games into the season, we'd be having a stretch like this where over the past week, in the past four games, Cam Johnson has played 22 minutes per game. He's averaged 12 points, four rebounds on 48% three-point shooting. That's just over the Suns' last four games. But that's a guy who I expected to come in and unless there was an early season injury, either to McHale or to Kelly, that he would essentially be a bench warmer. And instead he's come in and McHale, um, sorry, Monty's almost playing him 24 minutes per game over this recent right. stretch of games. That's kind right. of insane that he's able to do that. Um, but just his professional uh, approach, Kelly Oubre Jr.'s professional approach. I had questions about whether he was going to be able to come in and keep up the uh, stretch of basketball that he had in March last year before he got hurt when the Suns were playing their best basketball he's come in and and he's played that to perfection I think he's been a very good player who's absolutely worth his contract so far so you know just being professional which obviously Mikhail is and having a hard work ethic which we know he has uh, isn't enough to necessarily crack the rotation for more than 20 minutes per game that sort of stuff just isn't a given anymore yeah, Cam Johnson in the Hawks game was interesting. And I think Cam Johnson playing with some of the starters is something that we're going to see more and more of uh, because of what he brings. I mean, that the outside shooting is insane. Like, it's it's as predicted, right? It's as advertised. He's Cam Johnson's shot has translated to the NBA. I think we can say that now at this point. Uh, that's catch and shoots. That's off dribble. He's had a few off dribble. He's been able to pump fake and get you know a few a few feet within the three point line and hit that mid range shot as well. But I think the reason I wanted to talk about that is the Hawks game specifically. When you need to speed up the offense a little bit, when you need to start running on a team, it's nice to have a guy like Cam Johnson in 
that just draws so much attention. And if and if you got guys backpedaling, if you got guys just crowding the lane, having Cam Johnson on the perimeter is just it's undoubtedly valuable. You need to have a guy. It's it's Clay Thompson esque. I mean, that's kind of the obvious comparison to make so far. And I think with Cam Johnson, with Aaron Baines, who we're going to talk about later. What, what I've started to realize is that James Jones has taken somewhat of a no-risk approach with the players that he chooses to get. And what I mean by that is, is there's, it's kind of the idea of raising the floor, right? Uh, J, it, for example, Josh Jackson, somebody, somebody on uh, Reddit, this is kind of what inspired this in my mind, said, imagine how good Josh Jackson would be in this Monty Williams system. And my head almost exploded, you know, because to me, that is... It's undermining what James Jones has done. It's undermining what Monty Williams has done because what they're doing is they're choosing players that are essentially no risk. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes. There's been some games recently where we've had, or the Suns have had, a ton of assists and low turnovers. And you can't really do that with guys like Josh Jackson. And I guess the idea of playing a guy like Josh Jackson is the ceiling is so high that you could potentially have a star a few years down the road. Now, that ship has sailed. I think that's obviously <laughs> sailed. But, but my point is, it's not just, Cam, it's not just uh, Josh Jackson and, and you know, Cam Johnson talking about that. It's also like Cam Reddish, who we saw with the Hawks. It's also Jarrett Culver with the uh, Timberwolves. Those guys have flaws in their games where uh, they could be an excellent player, but they could also be just kind of eh, role players if, if they don't quite get past those flaws. And I think James Jones looked at Cam Johnson and said, he doesn't make any mistakes and he has, has like a, a translatable NBA skill in his shooting. And that's enough, right? If they're not going to make mistakes, then and you put him with the star, then that's pretty good, right? That's pretty valuable. That's how Richard Jefferson run, won an NBA championship, uh, for example. It's just not making mistakes. It's how right. Channing Fry has a championship. Yeah. Just don't make a lot of mistakes. Right. The only rebuttal, of course, is that you need a certain amount of high-level talent to get you past, you know, to give you a certain ceiling. For every Josh Jackson, you know, the Suns fans have been continually kicking themselves for the Suns passing on Darren Fox and Jonathan Isaac, two other guys yeah. in that draft who were taken right. in the top 10. Both of them were projects. Uh, John Isaac still doesn't have much of an offensive game. He can hit an open three, but he still doesn't have too much of an offensive game besides that and transition. And yet defensively, he looks like a future defensive player of the year. De'Aaron Fox had a a putrid, awful rookie season, and he really made things uh, connect in year two. And now he looks like a future all-star. So, you know, there's there's two sides to it. I can see two sides. But overall, I think your point is good. Culture takes time to foster. And potentially, we could see James Jones shift his strategy a few years down the line once the Suns have built it. But right now, it was just so important for them this offseason to build it. A few years from now, though, maybe they start taking those risks again where they go for uh, kind of potentially higher impact players to kind of plug and play into a system where they're already confident that the coaching staff can uh, take a player that's a little bit more of a risk and, and mold them into what they want them to be. Yeah, and I think a lot of that conversation as far as just this year and the decisions we've seen James Jones make has to do with the fact that it wasn't this like really high potential draft with that was super deep with all these great players that could be good. It was kind of a shallow draft with just a few stars at the top. So it was kind of circumstantial that you can make a decision that is uh, a sort of lower risk. And and the point I wanted to make is that it does remind me of like the Spurs or the Miami Heat. When you're building a team 
just say like the Spurs never really take massive risks on guys. They they almost did. That was the weirdest part with Marcus Morris almost signing with the Spurs. I was like that just that that move never really made sense to me. And it turns out that he thought that too when he ended up going to New York. Uh, and now he plays with the Knicks with all their other power forwards. Uh, but Miami is a good example as well. Miami doesn't take a lot of risks with guys. They just get guys that they know can contribute from day one as much as possible. And yes, they have more of an infrastructure to develop and being the Spurs and Miami because they've had a good culture for a longer period of time. So to your point, I think that's something that could make a big, big difference. The last point I wanted to make that I just found interesting looking up stats today is the Suns have been at the top of the league in fouling, but now they're also at the top of the league in drawing fouls. They're one of the most fouled, or they are the most fouled teams as as well uh, per game. We talked about it before the season they have a lot of guys that can draw fouls. I think the two big ones, the two obvious big ones, are uh, Kelly Oubre and Devin Booker. I think some of the surprises with the amount of minutes that um, Aaron Baines has gotten, <laughs> he gets fouled a lot, you know, going either going to the rim or drawing charges. But also Ricky Rubio, we talked about how he was at the top of the league for guards, which was a surprise considering he doesn't shoot that much compared to a lot of guys at that level. But I think that that stat sort of evening out is a good thing for the Suns going does, forward. Um, you, know, you don't want to lose that battle. Just a question. Does drawing an offensive foul from the other team on defense, does that count towards drawing a personal foul? Do you know what I mean? Like forcing yes, a turnover it's, it's in just that play, way? It's just, yeah, fouls drawn. Right, okay, um, because yeah. in, mm-hmm. just in that Atlanta game alone, whether it, right. was, whether it was fair or not, <laughs> there's, we should talk about the Suns' kind of savvy way of playing defense. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they got Damian Jones who is starting at center for the Hawks, to uh, five fouls by the early third quarter by mm-hmm. doing the same thing where they would trap Trey on the pick and roll, and then Jones would roll to the basket. He'd be looking sideways, not looking at who he was about to mow over, and then whoever was there for the Suns just ran to the elbow and took the charge. Right. Several times it happened. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, they, they also took uh, charges from other players as well. I mean, I didn't count it up, but the Suns must have taken like eight or ten in a single game, something like right. that. Um, so if that goes towards that stat, uh, I think that deserves some credit for the Suns because they're now second in the NBA in charges drawn. Aaron Baines yeah. and Ricky Rubio in particular have been really good at that. Yeah, Tyler Johnson also. And I think that's uh, like an Aaron Baines thing as far as like inspiring. The way we talk about guys inspiring like ball movement and stuff like that, sacrificing your body is something that can be inspirational as well. And uh, credit to Aaron Baines for setting that example to the rest of the players uh, on the team. Uh, you had some notes on the Suns' defense that I found interesting. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I think going into the season, we mostly expected the Suns to be an average offensive team and a below-average defensive team. Instead, what we've seen is that the Suns are a borderline elite offensive team. I mean, if you just go by like the assist numbers. Um, but defensively, there was this portion of the season where they started out top 10 in defensive rating. And now, for the first time, they were bumped out. They are now 11th in defensive rating overall, and that's especially because of their last four games. They allowed 124 points, 112, 123, and 112, again, in their last four games for an average of about 118 points per game. And so I think we we should bring up the question, is the Suns' defense regressing? Um, Is this normal? Should we expect it? Um, Are they going to go back up? Or or just kind of what do we expect from the Suns' defense going forward? And just to throw out some other stats, like— You know, everything sort of points to this being, I think, a pretty average defensive team, not an above average one overall. They're 13th in allowing points off turnovers. They're 14th in allowing fast break points, 
15th in second chance points. And this is the big one, 21st in uh, points in the paint. Right. Which obviously, you know, Aaron Bates, I think, has done a great job. I don't blame mm-hmm. him for that at all. I think it's the the rest of the team around him that actually kind of hurts that one. Um, and those back-to-back games with Lakers and Hawks, they were just getting those lobs yes. uh, very easily, especially trapping against Trey Young. That right. opens that up really Right, well. and so here's the thing. On the one hand, I want to give the Suns some credit because what they did against the Lakers and the Hawks in their last two games was particularly different than what they did to start the season. To start the season, they defended the pick and roll by playing drop coverage and doing what Mike Prada, who was on one of our recent episodes, I don't remember his last episode or... The one before that? Two episodes Two ago, episodes yeah. ago, Mike Prada came on and talked about the Suns doing a pre-rotation where you take the third guy in that pick-and-roll defensive scheme, the nail defender, and have him kind of glued to the elbow area, the free-throw line area, the nail, to prevent penetration even if it opens up shooters. That's how the Suns... And then Aaron Baines would be the big guy involved in that because he would drop back and protect the rim. What the Suns did in the past two games... Um, is basically scheming depending on who they were playing. So against the Lakers with LeBron James, they switched on everything throughout the game consistently. Did it work effectively? I I don't know that I would say it will. I don't think it was a bad idea, Um, but I think just LeBron James and Anthony Davis combined was a little too much star power for the Suns. And, you know, if you watch that game, you have to admit the Suns' offense was clicking, but the Lakers were a very good basketball team. They just kind of yeah. executed their offense to perfection. And for the Suns, I don't think switching uh, versus playing drop coverage, I don't think it really made a difference. And then what they did against the Hawks, they gave them the Devin Booker treatment of last year. You right. bank on the rest of the Hawks team being able to win that game, but uh, get the ball out of Trey Young's hands as much as you possibly can by trapping him, even if it allows your backdoor defense to be a little bit weak. And that's sort of how we saw Trey Young rack up 13 assists. That's how we saw the Hawks get in the paint so much because guys wouldn't be rotating on the back end fast enough and the Suns were giving up easy layups. You're willing to live with that, though, if it's not Trey Young bombing away from 35 feet. So I think like Monty Williams deserves some credit because he's been so adaptable in that sense as well. What it means, though, is that the Suns aren't necessarily getting the reps um, in real live action games to be particularly precise when they switch to, you know, switching everything on defense or to trapping. So they looked a little bit slow in the past couple games. And as a result, their numbers are kind of taking a turn for the worse. And they at least seem to be regressing back to an average team on defense. Yeah. And I think the average team on defense is what we expected. You know, that, that feels a little more like uh, what we expected. But this is one of those things where 11, 11 games in, maybe it's not the best uh, time to point at this as something that is going to be uh, continuing throughout the season. Uh, they seem to be pretty disciplined. There's just not a lot of above-average defenders generally on this team outside of uh, Rubio, Baines, and probably Bridges and Ubre. Ubre has been especially good so far this season. The Lakers are especially hard to defend because of the size. They play with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and a, cent- a center on, on the right. court at the same time. Right. So good luck trying to figure out exactly how to do that. And I think uh, we're going to see some interesting types of uh, defense against the Lakers uh, going forward this season <laughs> that could potentially be informative uh, for teams going up against them. But, you know, I, the Lakers are very good. <laughs> you know, we talked about it when we were previewing that right. uh, that team going forward. So no well, surprise there. Well, LeBron is already so hard to guard. But in particular, you take a guy like Dario Saric, who's been good defensively this year he really has and then you put him up against uh, matched up one-on-one against Anthony Davis where Dario also has to worry about you know potentially helping on the penetration created by LeBron uh he was toast 
I mean, I think there was a stretch in the second quarter of that game where Anthony Davis went straight at Dario four or five possessions in a row and scored every time and got multiple and ones. Uh, He just looked helpless. And that's what those teams look like. That's also, for the record, uh, what I'm worried about going forward with the Clippers, too. It was fantastic that the Suns beat the Clippers in game one. Paul George is back now. And so these are the teams that you have to worry about. The teams, uh, there are no big threes anymore in the NBA, but there are still teams with uh, really, really good duos. And unfortunately, the two teams with the two best duos are in our division. So we play each of them three more times. No big threes? You don't like uh, D'Angelo Russell, Marquise Chris, and Eric Pascal? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not quite. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I think you know, the the Lakers game, I think, was the most obvious. DeAndre Ayton would help this team game uh, so so far this season. Uh, you know, just having extra size to potentially play uh, two big guys at once and see how it goes. But uh, uh, 11 games in, Sam, uh, how do you feel about the Ricky Rubio $17 million a year, three-year contract? Uh, it's the worst, worst <laughs> signing of the offseason. F minus. <laughs> For the Suns. No, I mean, look, I think we've roasted that take enough at this point. Um, Well, maybe we haven't. Maybe we should keep bringing it up. But he looks good Um, over the past five games, 16 points, six rebounds, nine assists. Here's a really fun Ricky Rubio stat is that his assist to turnover ratio is currently a 4.0. Perfect GPA. (laughs) He is on pace to have the second best assist turnover ratio of any starting Suns guard ever behind Mm -hmm. 1989 Jeff Hornacek, who had a ratio of 4.3. If you limit it to only point guards, since Jeff Hornacek was not a point guard, uh, then he's on pace for the best ever, beating out Steve Nash, Kevin Johnson, and Jason Kidd, who were three of the best playmaking point guards of their respective, of NBA history, not just their respective generations, right? So like, that's the kind of playmaking that Rubio is having right now. Offensively, uh, He's hitting his open threes, and that's kind of all that matters to me. Like, he's struggling in some other areas. We maybe could talk about that. Um, But his playmaking, the angles that he's opening up uh, for other players, he just fits seamlessly into the system. And, uh, yeah, props props to Ricky. There are a few different guards, point guards, uh, currently in the NBA and then in the history of the NBA who have not been known for their shooting. Some guys I wanted to talk about was Lonzo Ball. Ben Simmons is an interesting example. And then in the past, Jason Kidd, I think, was, of course, the example that everyone likes to bring up. I think what's been impressive about Ricky Rubio is if you if Lonzo Ball was having the same season as Ricky Rubio right now, uh, there would be like superstar buzz <laughs> around Lonzo Ball, which is fair because he's insanely athletic and he's young. He's young. But yeah. I just want to bring up the point of how good Ricky Rubio has been. There are flaws. He's shooting badly on mid-range <laughs> shots so far. Um, unsustainably badly, I think he can improve, and I think you you probably have some points on that as well. But I just want to say that that signing was so obviously a great signing. And even I think even you we put him, both of us, coincidentally, when we made our list of top five free agents that we wanted the Suns to go after, he was number three on both of our lists. So we both had him there, and we both thought he was going to be good. I'll speak for myself. Personally, he's exceeded that expectation for me, and I hope that he continues to shoot this well, uh, as well as he's been shooting so far. Yeah, he's, um, I don't remember your list anymore. It was D'Lo and Brogdon, though, right? Number one and number two? Yeah, just making sure. I, frankly, Mm -hmm. I think I had Brogdon first. I think I had D'Lo second. Um, Actually, I had Kelly Oubre second. That's right. Did you really? (laughs) Yeah, I did. You're an asshole. Did you? (laughs) 
I still, I still, I stand by it. <laughs> I stand by it. Wait, was this was this our list of top free agent targets in general? Right? Yeah, That's what it was. It was. Yeah. So, you know, I just considered him the heart and soul of the team, and and I think he's proved that so far. Yeah, but you're still an asshole for doing that. That's something you would do. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, so look, I mean, hey, Brogdon's playing great, but no, obviously, I'm very happy with Ricky, um, and and for me to have D'Lo over him, I guess, doesn't look great now. Um, but if you try to come after me over that, people listening, I know most of you were in the same exact boat, so don't even try it. Um, I 100% still stand by that take, so feel free to come at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 and it's not to say that Ricky Rubio has not been good. Uh, I just think, what? just watch D'Angelo Russell for the rest of the season, and if he's doing things that Devin Booker was doing when he was playing with a shit team, uh, you can't talk about him Look, the same way that other people were talking about Devin Booker there. First of all, that's a great point. Second of all, there was not a frenzy of people ready to come to Gambo's house and and burn his house down over news about (laughs) D'Angelo Russell. You can't tell me that that was for nothing, you know? Like, obviously, there was a lot of hype for a reason. Ricky Rubio didn't create that same sort of hype. Regardless, we move on. Ricky Rubio's been really good, and the Suns are 7-4. and Um, The mid-range thing you you asked me to touch on, so he's shooting 29% on mid-range shots right now. That's really bad. Uh, And the Suns as a team... I think it's kind of interesting. Like, I looked at the stats the other day. They're shooting 40% on above-the-break threes, which is second in the NBA as a team. A lot of that is because of Devin Booker being hot, but most of it, honestly, is because of Aaron Baines, Dario Saric, guys like that are just taking tons and tons of above-the-break threes. And then uh, on the other side of things, they're shooting 33% on all mid-range shots, which is 29th in the NBA. Second best team on above the break three, second worst team on mid-range shots. Uh, with the mid-range shots, I think a lot of it is Ricky, but also Devin hasn't looked quite like his usual self on mid-range and no shots. no Aiton, too. No Aiton. That definitely helps. Tyler Johnson is the other guy who takes mid-range shots on this team. He hasn't been quite up to speed. It's just kind of a weird wrinkle in the Suns' offense right now because obviously— Look, you can play the analytic card. You can say three is more than two and threes are more important than twos. That's true. And, and you know— all offenses in the NBA are going in that direction for a reason, but you still want a certain level of penetration in your offense. Your offense can't just be a five-out offense, everyone pass around the perimeter and expect to get open shots. You need penetration. Part of that is living with your players taking mid-range shots. But in order to be effective, you really want the Suns guards to, to start getting better with their mid-range shots, just a little bit smarter. Like You want Ricky Rubio to be shooting more like 35 to 40% on his mid-range shots to really make it worth it at the minimum and not 29%, which is what he's at right now. Because right now, just in terms of efficiency, the Suns shooting an above-the-break three is twice as valuable as them taking a mid-range shot. So you're kind of wasting possessions when you take mid-range shots if you think about it like that. That doesn't mean you want to completely eliminate it from your game. Um, But yeah, that's kind of like the one area where it's like, okay, Ricky took a left-leaning mid-range shot kind of at the baseline when he could have kicked it out to Dario or even a struggling big like Frank. Right now, with the way Ricky is shooting, I would rather have Frank Kaminsky brick that three, potentially, because I think Frank will make up for it in the long run. Um, But hopefully Ricky's going to get his shooting back on track, and he'll be fine in that area as well. Yeah, I I can tell this is going to be a long episode already, Sam, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We go before we... we before we get to Jay Kyle Man, who's going to join us right after a break here, uh, there's one more thing that we have to talk about because it became somewhat of a story within the Suns universe, and we'll quickly talk about it. Aaron Baines is a free agent after, after this season, and Sham Sharania 
said on his uh, show that he does on on The Athletic that Aaron Baines is making a case that he could be worth $10-plus per year to re-sign. Now, a point I talked a lot about Aaron Baines. Obviously, I'm a huge fan. I talk, I made the case last week for starting him uh, over DeAndre and just to continue how good he's been and how he's affected uh, his teammates. But just to just to put a little more context on that, because these numbers I just saw, Aaron Baines is now tied, or actually he is sixth in box plus minus for all players in the NBA. The only players higher than him in this stat, which is sort of an all-encompassing stat that tries to predict uh, how much of an advantage you are over the course of 100 possessions over the average player in the NBA. Uh, The only players higher than Aaron Baines so far are Giannis, Luka, LeBron, Harden, and Cat, Carl Anthony Towns. He's higher than guys like Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, Jokic, guys like that. Playing on a good team helps this stat. All of those guys I mentioned play on good teams. Even after that bad game, what could be considered a bad game for him against the Hawks, Aaron Baines is still top six in BPM so far this season. He has been a massive, 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 massive contributor to how well the Suns have been playing so far. Having said all that, (laughs) the Suns do not have a lot of cap space, as much as you would expect with a guy like Tyler Johnson coming off the books next season. Uh, They currently have... $91 million that is just active roster cap next season. This is before making any moves, of course. Um, The 2020 salary cap is $116 million, but they have $54 million in cap holds. So if they continue to keep those cap holds on the books without re-signing guys like Tyler Johnson, Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, for example, he's also included in those cap holds, they technically have no cap, cap space at all. If they were to renounce all of those cap holds, they'd have about $16 million ish in in cap space 17 well no 15 million dollars ish in cap space what do you think Wait, about for, is Aaron that from Bates? 91 to 116 so is that yes. 25 25 that's 25. Sorry, 25 thank you yeah 25 million dollars in cap space now if you factor in aaron baines's cap hold in that that's 10 million dollars right that's kind of what i was doing mentally oh, here oh, oh, okay um aaron baines cap hold is around what he's now shams is yeah. saying that he could get what do you think about aaron baines worth in, in free i know we're this is like way uh, advance of this conversation but because it, it made headlines <laughs> yeah. i think it's important yeah. to at least touch on it yeah look so let's wait and see how he plays the rest of the season right but but if he plays anything like he's playing right now for a full season uh then his agent um he's represented by i believe they're called lighthouse sports management uh they'll hmm. be right to argue that he's over worth more than 10 million a year just based on the stats that you threw out he's been an incredibly impactful player and will deserve that sort of contract. I think with the Suns, it would be all about length. You don't want Aaron Baines. Arguably, you want him on a one-year deal, right? You, you don't want to really make a long-term investment into him. And the other thing is to make it happen in the first place, um, if you're looking at those cap holds on the Suns cap sheet and looking where can you cut a cap hold to try and create this space so that we could facilitate this deal in the first place, I think you're essentially admitting that uh, you're saying goodbye to Tyler Johnson because right. Tyler Johnson has a $28 million cap hold. Because it's, yep. I think, a hundred and fifty percent of his salary, which is nineteen yeah. million dollars. That's how you get to that number. Yeah, um, it's crazy. It's crazy. So a twenty, yeah, it. a twenty-eight. Mil- First of all, we can just talk about that on its own. A twenty-eight million dollar cap hold for Tyler Johnson, as much as I like the guy, is absurd, and I think kind of points to uh, a, a likely possibility that the Suns 
try and get Ty Jerome back and groom Ty Jerome into being one of their big backup guards and say goodbye to Tyler Johnson, either at the deadline or over the summer. I think that's a very distinct possibility. Um, But regardless of that conversation right now, Baines is worth over $10 million just with the way he's playing. Uh, Is he worth it specifically to the Suns? As a backup center who might be playing 15 to 20 minutes per game behind DeAndre Ayton, that's a tougher conversation in terms of do you want to prioritize him over Dario Saric? You know, I mean, Baines is a better player than Saric with the way he's playing right now, which just that right there is kind of ridiculous to say. But if Saric is giving you 30 minutes per game and Baines can only give you 15, you can maybe make a case for some sort of diminishing returns and and say that maybe you're going to go for a cheaper center uh, to back up DeAndre Aiden, and you'd be able to get enough value out of that to make Dario your main priority going into the summer. I don't know. We have a lot to wrestle with. This trade deadline is going to be interesting for all of those reasons because they have a lot to prepare for this offseason. And if they're in that playoff race there's going to be a lot to talk about I, you know just I think I agree with everything you said there as far as the points uh, you're making about how good Baines has been but I guess for Suns fans you just kind of hope that he really loves living in Phoenix he really loves Monty Williams and he's willing to maybe take a little less to play here uh, if the, assuming they do want to give him a longer term deal but the real fact is this team is built to be contenders as I'm sorry built built to be players in the 2021 free agency. And, uh, you know, they have some cap space they can make this offseason, but not a lot of great players this offseason as far as free agents. And uh, there's a lot of money coming off the books in that 2021 season where they could be big players in that free agent market. So uh, let's end that there. We'll switch over now to Jay Kyle Mann, our favorite, our favorite YouTuber, I would say, who just did an excellent video for The Ringer about the Phoenix Suns that I know you've already watched, but if you haven't, look it up now. Um, it's on The Ringer's YouTube page. You can find it there. So we'll switch over to that, and uh, we'll talk to him a little bit, and maybe hear from us a little more at the end. You ever see an untucked button-down? They look bad, but Why? It's because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt that's actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall to the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. I love to wear my shirts untucked. I don't like to look super formal all the time, especially when you live somewhere as warm as Arizona. You want to have your shirt untucked. It's frustrating to shop for shirts untucked. No matter your size, Untuck It has what you need. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use the code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. 20% off. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Joining us live from Kentucky, the Ringer's own, J. Kyle Mann. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing superb, fantastic. How are you guys doing? Not bad. I'm I'm happy that you joined us again. Uh, obviously, there was a great reason for you to come on our podcast. Not that we needed it. We love to have you on, but 
you made an excellent video about the Phoenix Suns for the Ringer titled How Ricky Rubio Has Transformed the Phoenix Suns Offense. And it went into a lot about what Ricky Rubio has done for this team. But I think it was even more than that, right? You talked about Aaron Baines, which is the topic that everyone loves to talk about right now. But you also talked about uh, Devin Booker and how his game has changed so far this season. I assume, Kyle, just to start, you watched a lot of Suns games or a lot of Suns film uh, to get this video made. Uh, what what has been your impression of the Suns so far this season? I watched as much as I could. I guess this early in the season, it's not as hard to kind of wrap your mind around it. Like when you start getting up into the 50, mm-hmm. 60, 70 game mark. So it's a, little, it's a little easier to get a feel for what's going on. But um, yeah, I mean, I watched a couple of their games and it was clear it was clear that uh and I had observed I always kind of watch jumping out on like decisions that teams make. Um I made a comment in the video just that like in a spreadsheet, you know, the Rubio choice had been criticized, but um mm-hmm. It was clear from early on just watching them, and it, it's almost like the the amount of money that they paid him do, doesn't exactly equal to like you're getting X production. Like with a guy like Rubio, specifically in a science experiment, like a young team that desperately needed a certain type of thing, which I even think the last time I came on your show, we talked about how the playmaking and the creation was just so sorely lacking that I think Devin Booker's like, turnovers for like fast break points for among like ball handlers past a certain threshold of touches was like he was one of the higher ones but one of the mm-hmm. reasons for that was he he needed some help in that area like they needed uh some some space to to sort of spread it around and i guess the point i'm making about rubio is you know they paid him that money people gave him a lot of grief saying surely he's not the answer if he wasn't the answer in utah why would he be the answer here and i think what they were paying for was you know, a good cultural shot in the arm. Uh, and it clearly has so far, small sample size, uh, been a really good thing for them. And, and, and watching them, it's just the balls moving. It's clear their numbers are up like team assists. We talked about that. We're up secondary assists. Uh, and what's interesting to me is that they, they don't lead the league in like, and just passes and passes received. So that means like they're passing with, uh, intention you know what i mean like mm-hmm. they're passing with there's some clear methodology and, and uh the offensive intelligence and the approach is just up and it's obvious i think well it just helps to have a, a personnel that can fulfill that right you talked about the 0.5 system that monty williams has been implementing and, and we've talked about that on this podcast too and you kind of talked about it. it was funny on the video because it lined up with this tim and eric bit of uh having five guys who can pass dribble and shoot on the court at the same time you know what a concept but the Suns, the Suns are there now. You know they they've filled the basics. So if we talk about they've met this minimum level of competence, uh, you also talk near the end of the video about okay, so now the bar is raised a little bit. Other teams are going to have times to uh, to scout them and and potentially to hit them with some counterattacks. So you know if you're going into approaching playing the Suns for the rest of the season, uh, what sort of challenges do you think they might face from here on out? And you know how would you develop a scheme to kind of beat them? if they reach that minimum level of competence right now. What's interesting is that, you know, just the, well, Baines is really important too. And, you know, I'm preaching to the choir on that one, but just Baines competence. And and I was looking at, I'll, I'll work my way to the, the, the question in a roundabout way here, but like, 
Baines has played on like, I think other than two seasons in his career, he's played in like winning culture and winning basketball situations. So he's used to serving. And and what's really good to me about these signings is that they serve the need and they, they address some of the needs that the Suns had, but they don't threaten Devin Booker's role within the offense. You know, it's not like they're bringing in another guy who's going to want to be a high touches, high usage score. And in response to that, I guess the logical, you know, I'm not an NBA coach or NBA scout. Shocker. Don't fall over from shock there. But um, <laughs> I would assume that teams are going to try to just choke out any kind of pick and rolls with 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 Rubio and Baines or just really key on uh, stifling his effectiveness. And there's a book. There is a book on how to do that. Like Rubio has been in the league for a while. I've seen Sam. I think you were tweeting about Rubio's mid-range effectiveness. There are different ways. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of different ways to kind of address that. I think that some of that is going to um, even out some in terms of his shooting. Um, but the positive, if you're a Suns fan, is that they have some things. I was just kind of looking at some of their play type efficiencies. You know, they're they're technically on a smaller frequency rate here. Now, if they if they did it more, it might come down a little bit in effectiveness. But they're they're on paper the best handoff team in the league right now, which is really fascinating to me. Which is you would assume Baines and Booker, and I talked about it a little bit in the video that, you know, teams are going to try to just the fact that that thread is there is going to open up new wrinkles for, for Booker. It's going to, and they're, and they're going to be able to, as some of those younger guys start to play better. Um, I think that they're, they're just going to have more pressure release valves within the offense if teams do start to counter. So I do think that there's some areas to develop and uh, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how those things evolve as we get towards like halfway point, three quarter point in the uh, in the season. Kyle, you've done a lot of scouting videos. Some of my favorite stuff that you've done uh, in the past are on college guys and how trying to sort of predict how they're going to translate, showing what they're good at, showing what they're not good at. What have you thought about Cameron Johnson so far? And we talked a little bit about him in the past, but what do you think about Cameron Johnson going forward and how do you think he's played so far? Uh, I mean, he's he's been coming along slowly, obviously. It's going to be... He, he also had some health problems early on, didn't he? If I'm not mistaken, didn't he have like yeah. a, foot, a foot problem? Was it foot? Yeah. It was like a hip issue hip. too, right? Or was yeah. It? That's what he had in college. This this season, he was out a few games at the beginning of the season. It was like an ankle. Oh, yeah. If you're talking minor. about that, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like Cam Johnson. Coming in the draft, I liked him. I guess that when that number gets put next to somebody, that's when you start to either uh swoon or uh get angry but like with, with cam johnson yeah i saw a lot of people getting mad about that like i i thought cam johnson was a legit uh nba player in in terms of catch and shoot um he's a little stiff like that was sort of one of the knocks on him i mean he is tall sort of seems like he's got kind of a high center of gravity like his ability to attack attack mm-hmm. closeouts and be a creator is going to be one of the things that dictates how effective he is i think um and then foot foot speed as a defender i i mean his mechanics man i mean they make me weep they are so beautiful like actually kentucky was Mm -hmm. involved in recruiting him for a little bit and i have a friend that was close to the staff and it was like they kind of shuffled their feet about uh about getting him and he didn't end up coming and i was just so pissed off because he's (laughs) uh man he's got a beautiful stroke but you know he's he's another guy so you talk about pressure release that's like shooting like that especially with guys that can, can create super super valuable yeah I think when we originally had you on uh, this spring, you know, two of your favorite videos that you had done in the past, you covered both DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges um, back when you were on the Dime Drop channel. And 
currently there's uh, obviously nothing to talk about with DeAndre Ayton, but <laughs> has your outlook changed on uh, Mikhail Bridges at all based on his start? You know, he's one of the guys, if you can point to anyone on this roster and say, that guy's had a slow start, he would pretty much be the one. Yeah, I mean, I no, I haven't given up on him just because I, I think that the role that he's going to grow into isn't, uh, I don't think that the expectations, well, I would turn it around and ask you guys, I mean, what 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 would you say you think his ceiling is? Like, and what's the feeling <laughs> among Suns fans? Yeah, so I, I think the feeling among Suns fans is, is high on Mikhail Bridges still. I think it's interesting. We were actually before, in the segment of this podcast that's going to air before this interview, we were talking about it a little bit. I think he's still... Uh, clearly demonstrated a positive impact on defense. He's going to continue to do all the little things on offense as well. He continues to cut well to the basket, time that nicely. Um, his actual ceiling is he, you know, for me, it's like, is is Mikhail Bridges, he's definitely going to be a positive contributor, but is he going to be more Shane Battier or is he going to be, you know, like Paul George or something? Like there was, there was this dream last year, I think, where Suns fans were clinging on to this idea that he could be a, a true star player. And I never really... Uh, quite i never really quite bought into that but i think it was partially coming out of the desperation of a 19 win season where he was like one of the only <laughs> seriously you know what if you look down the roster one of the only guys doing anything special at all um but i think it's very clear that he can be a good role player he just needs to develop that offense a little bit more than what we've seen so far shane Battier, I, I think he could do that you know i think he could fit that sort of archetype going forward it's just a little bit of, of a crowded wing rotation form right now with Kelly and with Cam kind of surprisingly making an impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would lean more towards the of course when you, when you say Battier, it's like Battier is like one of the smartest team defenders literally ever. So, but I mean like bridges, like we, well, I talked about in the scouting video that, you know, he, his physical tools are outrageous. He didn't grow up with a bunch of bad habits. So he's still, he's still a little bit of a, a work in progress. Like his developmental arc, course he's a little older too that's you know that's another yep. thing you see came into the league a little older but you know smart player great physical tools can shoot it the shooting has come along a little slower than i expected it to there's some things with his mechanics that don't feel the exact same to me as they did at villanova i actually went back and spent some time watching yeah. that tweeted a little bit about that the other day um some people were talking about how he has long arms i was just like that's not necessarily an excuse but you know sometimes these mechanic <laughs> things can just take Take a lot of times, you know, like guys like Kawhi, Scottie Pippen has insane arms and he didn't bring the ball out like that. So, um, but I haven't lost any faith in him. It's just that, um, I guess, yeah, like you said, I would, I'm, I would lean more towards, um, you know, high, high level, like shock, shot maker and, and sort of a big switchable perimeter, almost like a perimeter anchor type of a thing. You don't hear people say that as much as you would think, but, uh, mm -hmm. I think it could be true of him. Yeah. You know, you've been watching Devin Booker since, you know, he was a teenager. Uh, basically, you probably have a lot of experience seeing how he's developed. I think, you know, Suns fans have have been very high on Devin Booker since his rookie year. You know, he didn't play a lot to start his rookie year, and that team sort of fell apart halfway through the season, and he got a lot of minutes to end that year. His obvious comp coming into the year, so many people said Clay Thompson. He's not that. He's different than that. He's His play has changed dramatically. But to start this season, he's looked at he's looked really, really good. His efficiency is way up. He's making some more advanced reads, some things I was talking about passing wise, uh, you know, at the beginning of this episode as well. You know, talking about ceiling, as we talked about with Mikhail Bridges, how have you felt, you know, watching Devin Booker? You know, you have that historical knowledge. 
uh, as somebody who's watched him for a long time. Uh, what do you think his ceiling is going forward? How, how good do you think he can be? I mean, I think he could be an all NBA type player, whether he's like first team is tough. Uh, I think that's, I mean, yeah, like I, I think we've talked about it before. We, we didn't, you know, when he was here, we didn't see any of that stuff, like any of the like the the pick and roll creation, like the big time load bearing offensive piece. I did not expect that at all. I was because uh, it, it, he just didn't show any of it. But um, some of that can be, you know, he came to a system where a that team was super loaded. So his his role scope was not going to be in any position to be creative or inventive at all. Uh, but I would say. Yeah, I agree. It's been really interesting to watch him accept because, um, you know, with a lot of these guys who are sort of not really point guards, not really shooting guards, like Devin can kind of do both. Like he can carry a little bit of playmaking role. He can carry a lot of scoring role. He's been really willing to sort of let those guys work with him, like I was saying. Uh, and uh, it's like we were talking about in the video, his unassisted offense is uh, is down, um, and he's a smart player. I I think that he's a little he's still a little bit turnover prone. His turnover percentage is a little high at his position, like as it relates to his peers. I think that he's going to improve on that. Uh, but another big thing, man, that's helped is just and it's funny to put it this crudely and simply, but. They got rid of a lot of sucky players yes. and just put some good players <laughs> yes. around him. I mean, it, yeah. it's sometimes bad. I, I had, so I, I'll have like these conversations with uh, Jonathan Charks, who's a really nice guy for the ringer, a good writer, like a brilliant writer. And uh, I'll unwind these like big elaborate theories to him. And he'll be like, this isn't that complicated. And I'll be like, what do you mean? He's like, basketball, it's not that complicated. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I always try to like step back and rewind and just be like, yeah, sometimes it is that simple. They just, got rid of some shitty players and added some really good players. No offense to those guys, but they just added better players. Yeah. So. I mean, Josh Jackson wouldn't be making these passes. DeAnthony Melton wouldn't be hitting these shots. Marquise Chris wouldn't be, ma- you know, you can go down the list. There's there's a lot of guys like that. But with Booker, you know, a phrase that you used in the video, which I really like because I hadn't heard before, was anti-usage, which I think, <laughs> like, if, yeah. if I'm not wrong, is I think kind of similar to gravity, right? Like, it's talking about his ability off-ball to to impact the game. Um, but are you, are you using that to refer to his offense or, or defense too? Like, can you just expand on that phrase a little bit and what you meant by it? Yeah. I haven't had any chance to really publicly expound on that past that. Well, I talked to, I talked to Ben Taylor a little bit about it and I was like, you're cause I was, I'll bounce things off people and I'd be like, you sure, are you sure people won't think this is insane? He was like, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, um, I, I come from like a copywriting background. So I always have this inclination to like name things. So, <laughs> but I was just thinking about, you know, being off ball, running off screens, like the there's a difference between knowing how to actively use those things, knowing full well that you're not going to get the ball. Like I, I posted some clips of Steph. If I'd spent a little more time, I could have found some clips of him just manipulating things away from the ball without ever actually touching the ball. And that's sort of what I mean by anti-usage, just sort of having the motor and the consistency to do those things. Uh, because a lot of guys will move if you watch if they know, you know, it's like my dog will go and sit down on a, on his bed if he knows he's going to get a treat. But will he go and do that just to be nice to me, like so that I can do some errands? <laughs> Probably not. Not So I'm talking about when, when we're talking about uh, anti-usage, that's kind of what I meant. I mean, if I stick with that term, we'll see. But, uh, you know, Booker's... As he, we'll see what they try to draft like or what, what their like sort of roster vision is going to be going forward. But as they add more offensive options, 
I assume they're not done. You know, like adding Rubio yeah. and Baines were were great moves, and it it, it leveled them up, uh, and they they're like focus as a franchise like ryan mcdonough did a number on you guys like holy yeah. crap <laughs> yeah. like he seems like a nice guy but oh my goodness and um so as as that evolves and as that goes forward um yeah i i think it'll be it's going to be interesting to see how he develops and if he trends more that direction because also on the other end of the spectrum is like talking about curry and the way he operates off the ball clay is like this too those are once in kind of a generation type players and talents. So right. um, those are high benchmarks. So I don't know if he'll hit that, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, I, I got to ask from, from your perspective, I think it's interesting for guys like you who are not fans of the team. You're not really watching every minute that they play so far. You're doing your best to keep up with probably the entire NBA. Uh, and I do want to know your perspective on Kelly Oubre Jr. Because I think Suns fans have an interesting relationship with Kelly Oubre Jr., He's not a star player, but he's a star here in Phoenix. If you watch, if you watch him get introduced, for example, he he might get the loudest cheers on the floor. He started this whole Valley Boys trend, like this idea of sort of trying, just like you talked about with anti usage, trying to like name the movement for the Suns, you know, trying to brand it uh, a little bit. And I think there's like an element of like he's the heart and soul of this team. He's the energy of this team, like Draymond uh, for Golden State, or you know, there's Marcus Smart for uh, Boston, guys yeah. like that. And I think, you know, with Kelly Oubre Jr., we love him here. Like, the Suns fans really, really enjoy him so far. Uh, he's he's flawed. He's not a perfect player. He doesn't always make the best decision. He tends to barrel his, his way into traffic and, you know, hope to get fouls a lot of times. But, you know, as someone who's kind of from that outsider's perspective of the Suns, do you pick up on that watching the team play? And, and how, do you, how have you felt watching Kelly Oubre Jr. so far this season with the Suns? Well, I think his, you know, the the additions have an impact on everybody in different ways. And I think for Kelly, well, there is there is a a title, I think, that people have used in the past for guys like him. And that's he's sort of a chemist. Have you ever heard people use that expression? Yeah, I Mm -hmm. I think I think that would the way you're describing Ubre, you know, some of the boots on the ground way that you're talking about him. I'm not as aware of, but you could see that, you know, how um, just animated and well liked he is. And the fact that, you know, if. I guess what would could shift is if tomorrow Kelly Oubre decides he's hell bent on getting a max contract and being an all star, <laughs> um, right. you know that could, that could shift, and and that's a big part of. Um, it's it's nice to have those guys, but he also seems like he has just supreme confidence, um, and you need to have some guys <laughs> like that. Yeah. You need to have some guys who are a little bit who think you know they play a little over their head in terms of what they expect from themselves, like. Um, Maybe not quite like Dion Waiters, but uh, he's. I think I would take Ubre over Waiters, but um, obviously, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that that especially Rubio has has helped out, and and some of the stuff like the the threat of the of the dribble handoff, like we were talking about, the fact that they can lift the whole offense up. I put a clip in there of him going backdoor. It just liberates Ubre to do some of the things that he does well and like sort of defines his uh his role in a way that'll help him to be more productive so that he doesn't sort of get out over his skis. Um so yeah, I mean I, I like Ubre. Yeah. Their most recent game he had a season high thirty points. And he scored it mostly through cuts and dribble handoffs like that. That was a huge just testament to what you were saying. He's not going to be the primary scorer on on most nights, but occasionally he's going to have nights like that where they need him to have that kind of performance off ball uh, in order to win. 
And uh, did you happen to catch one of the games where he does the push-up thing? Do you, like, <laughs> no, no, I haven't okay. seen that. All right. No, I mean, in a lot of big minutes, I was just curious to get your take on it. In a lot of big minutes, Kelly likes to go for some push-ups. Uh, it's, it's gotten a couple of players on opposing teams riled up. I think it's funny. But uh, I was going to ask you if you think that's corny at all, because because I could definitely see some people having that opinion. No, um, I don't really I don't really care. I think it's hilarious. I mean, I, I can be a little bit of a heel about stuff like that. I was saying the guy that stole the ball from the Kansas player and dunked it. I liked it. I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, yeah. I loved that. I thought yeah. that was funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. But anyway, Kyle, I'm looking right now at the 538. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I'm looking at the 538 Raptor projections. I don't know if you care about stuff like that, but... Just where it stands right now, it says the Suns are projected for 45 wins with a 70% chance of the playoffs. And now we're starting to get to the point of the season uh, where we're building up Suns fans' hopes a little bit. So right now, Suns, better than 50% chance at getting into the playoffs. Do you buy or sell? Man, it's tough. I oh, How dare you do this to me? Uh, <laughs> I would say... There are a lot of things that are going to kind of click into place. Like we talked about counters. We're talking about, you know, depth in the backcourt is something that I would kind of keep an eye on. Um, you know, how they bring Aiton back. Um, Aiton's and what his expectations are because Baines is playing so well. Is there? I'm not punting on this question, but I want to ask you all this. I mean, is there any nervousness about Aiton coming back? Oh, that yeah. That could maybe disrupt oh, yeah. some of this? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, we talked about how uh, fans of Aiton will jump in, jump in your mentions, right? If you if you if you say anything <laughs> bad about him, oh god! Uh, yeah. I on the last episode, I made the case to continue starting Baines, uh, even when Aiton comes back and is healthy. And you know, I'm not the type that would be overly angry if Aiton started immediately. I think Aiton can contribute uh, on a good team, and I think he could be good uh, with the system that the Suns are running. And he looked, of course, he looked excellent in the one game he played this season. So it's that's an easy confidence builder but uh with what Baines does and what Baines does so well and the fact that Baines almost never really makes any mistakes yeah. uh it, there's there's like a little bit of a fear of uh Aiton for all he's good at he's still in his second year in the NBA and he's only played one game so far this season so you know there's a case to be made that he's gonna make a lot of mistakes just because that's kind of what happens as you develop and grow uh, in the NBA. So, I, you know, I have a little bit of fear of that as well, but I think uh, this team, there's such a fine line that they're, that they're on right now of there's a player that's out for 25 games and it's not because of injury and they haven't really suffered any injury other than Ty Jerome, who hasn't played yet this season. Who's a good player. It, yeah, he's a good player. Watch out for, for sure. It's going to help with that depth too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. That's what I worry about with how sustainable this is. It's like, if there is an injury now, you have that injured player and you have, you know, DeAndre Ayton out. Uh, and that's just, that's, that's what makes me nervous as well. It's not just DeAndre Ayton coming back and trying to reintegrate him into the offense, which I think he can still contribute, but it's also just that lack of depth that kind of hurts them right now. So, you know, I, I kind of leaning towards them potentially, yes, making the playoffs just because of the way that the West has sort of shaken out so far with Golden State clearly being out. Um, the Kings are playing better now, but they don't seem to be, uh, in that race as much as you would have expected them to. So it's a tough conversation. So Sam, how I, dare you do this to Kyle? Sorry to speak for myself, <laughs> to speak for myself too, and give my own take on it. I mean, I obviously think Aiton's a great player. He's just a different type of player than Aaron Baines. And if the thing that's making the Suns succeed right now, to put it simply, is as Kyle said in the video, the Suns have five guys who can pass, dribble, or shoot. 
Aiton isn't quite that. Like, you know, Baines is shooting 50% from deep. He's done a phenomenal job finding cutters from the elbow area, and I think Aiton is a plus playmaker for his position, but he's not quite on the same level, at least based on what I've seen from Baines so far. Um, and, and Baines is also just, he's become a master of the drop coverage and using verticality to his advantage. And, you know, being a guy who doesn't necessarily have a high block percentage, he doesn't block a lot of shots, but he alters a good amount of shots and has found a way to exist in this space where he can protect the rim without being an elite athlete. And I have questions about whether DeAndre Ayton can come back and immediately do that. So it's just hard. Like if, if we're 25 games in and the Suns are like 16 and 9, it's kind of hard to instantly throw Ayton into the starting lineup and, and mess with the mojo of that a little bit. And that's what we were talking about last week. But I still think Ayton's a great player. Yeah, I, I, I'm leaning towards, I want to just, I, I almost would say I'm really close to being in the in the middle. I have like slivers of just pessimism. Um I, just fear, I guess, in a way. The Suns have earned um, that <laughs> yeah. in your defense. Yeah, uh, and, and the West is is a tough place. You know, last year I think the difference between fifth in the West and being out of the playoffs. I mean, it was some ridiculously small, wasn't it? Like two games was the difference yeah, between being fifth like and being out of the race. So it's going to be the the quest is going to walk on the edge of a knife. To quote uh, the Lord of the Rings. So I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll. Just for your all sake, I, I think that it's it's working. And I, I mean, I'm going against a little bit of what I said in the video, too, that I think that uh, the fact that, that it's clicking this well this early, I don't think that it's a fluke. Um, so I'll 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 lean towards optimism. But I do. Okay. have my, I do have questions. I do have questions. So, you yeah. know, we were going to we were probably going to let you go before we talked about the Celtics game here. But if you don't mind, you know, the Celtics have been one of the better teams in the NBA. The Suns are playing them next tomorrow. Uh, what is what have you thought about the Boston Celtics? Obviously, you work for the ringer. So I assume that you're like required <laughs> to, to watch the Celtics play. <laughs> um, no, surprisingly, so, I don't get any kind of mandates on what to watch. Uh, yeah. They pretty much let me. They've been good, though. I mean, they're like I've watched them. Like I I have no reason to, other than just curiosity. And uh, they've looked. They just lost today uh, with a last-second missed layup by Marcus Smart, which is you know uh, interesting in in its own way. But uh, what do you think about the Celtics so far? Ten and two, right? Pretty sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it certainly just seems like Kyrie just came in and disrupted. I don't know. I have a lot of kind of rough opinions on Kyrie, honestly. Me but, too. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you you can feel at home uh, airing that out here if you'd like even, to. Even as I've heard you call him like the greatest layup maker in NBA history, though. Yeah, both can be true. Both can be <laughs> yeah. true. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, obviously insane talent. I just think that he, I talked about this a little bit in my free agency video. I just think that he has some ideas of himself that could end up coloring the way his career is looked at, you know, that uh, Robin kind of thought he was Batman for his whole career. Now he's it's talented. He's talented enough to be a Batman. But the problem is, I just don't know that, you know, culture t- trickles, trickles down from the top. And I don't know that Kyrie's ever going to quite be that guy. And, you know, some of that stuff has already kind of tr- started to trickle out in Brooklyn. But with Boston, you know, Brad Stevens, same old story. He does really well with these teams that kind of have multiple options, multiple guys that can cut uh, and and spread it out and attack, you know, not terribly dissimilar from what Monty Williams is kind of going on. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, I haven't like really, really dug in and, and, and really observe what it is that they're doing specifically, like schematically that's making it work. But from, you know, 35,000 feet, I'm not super surprised that uh, I, I still think that they're I, I was talking with somebody the other day about what their ceiling is. I mean, I would I would kind of put them as sort of uh, conference finals type team, but I'm not sure that they quite are going to have enough to like counter right. counter counter the way you need to in a playoff series. But you know, going to be a really good regular season team. It seems like yeah, and that, that Hayward injury I think hurts too. And, and you know, I was looking at it today; they're tenth uh, in defensive rating and they're first in offensive rating, which is obviously those are signs of like a, an excellent team. Mm-hmm. The Suns, the the four teams that the Suns have lost to so far, uh, are all top six in defensive rating so far. So this is this is one of the things the Suns have struggled with. Obviously, de- really good defensive teams mess up everyone's rhythm, but I think the Suns particularly they kind of uh, they feast on bad defenses and, and they struggle uh, with with really good defenses. And I think this game is going to be interesting for for that reason alone. Uh, I haven't got to see them a lot without Gordon Hayward, but I, I do think this is going to be an interesting game going forward. Uh, Sam, do you have anything else for Kyle before we let him go? Uh, no, I mean, thanks as always, Kyle. Guys, go watch the video if you haven't already. Go watch his future videos for The Ringer. They're all guaranteed to be uh, amazing. So Yeah, Thank and follow and follow him on Twitter, of course. Oh, yeah, what's follow your, what's him on Twitter. Handle? You need way more Twitter followers. I can't believe that you have I feel like you should have like way more than you do. Uh so everyone needs to go follow uh <laughs> Kyle Ray. What's your Twitter handle? I'm just kicking back. I I don't really, I'm not like one of those people that, uh, you know, I, my, my philosophy with everything, I think we've talked about music and everything on here too. It's like, you know, if you do stuff, people like, they'll come find you. That's kind of my philosophy. I'm just like, I'm not going to beg for followers if if people want to, you know, but I really do appreciate that. Thank you. My, my Twitter handle is, uh, at J Kyle man and, uh, subscribe to the ringers YouTube. We're trying to get that, that following up too. So I will talk out of both sides of my mouth there and and pander for YouTube subscriptions. So (laughs) go ahead. Please. Yes. <laughs> well, you should because uh, I've said it before previously. Uh, Jay Kyleman is my favorite YouTube content creator when it comes to basketball. So uh, those videos are Thank now coming you. from that Ringer feed. So go if you if you subscribe to the Dime Drop, also subscribe to the Ringer's YouTube tra- channel as well if you want to see uh, his videos that he's creating. Uh, I love them, whether they're about the Suns or about anything <laughs> else. There's a lot of great stuff that he creates there. So definitely go check that out. Um, thank you once again for joining us of course everyone go watch these videos go follow him on twitter uh, Kyle thank you again thanks for having me love it gotta talk about the push ups too because, right oh there he is was that your coach? Yes, sir. It's the head honcho. How many head coaches like? That's the head honcho, sir. The, that is awesome. Let's talk about Monty. How much do you love playing for this guy, and how has he changed things? Not, you know, not to disrespect anybody from last year, but man, this is a, a different environment. Well, he's a person. You know, if you put him, you know, at, a, at the head of a group like us, you know, young guys, rowdy, energetic, and you bring somebody like him in, man, he can do monumental things for organization and for for an individual. And that's kind of we all trust him. We're all bought in. So you know, we're just keeping. Getting better under him, man, and it's a blessing to see. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 
5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.